Viewpoint on Mormonism, the program that examines the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints from a biblical perspective. Viewpoint on Mormonism is sponsored by Mormonism Research Ministry. Since 1979, Mormonism Research Ministry has been dedicated to equipping the body of Christ with answers regarding the Christian faith in a manner that expresses gentleness and respect. And now, your host for today's Viewpoint on Mormonism. Who was Jane Manning James, and why is her story so important? Welcome to this edition of Viewpoint on Mormonism. I'm your host, Bill McKeever, founder and director of Mormonism Research Ministry. And with me today is Eric Johnson, my colleague at MRM. In the third volume of Saints, titled Boldly, Nobly, and Independent, this book came out in 2022, there is a section in one of the chapters dealing with a black member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Her name is Jane Manning James. And the reason why we want to bring this up is because even though you've heard us say that this new series of LDS history that the church has been coming out with seems to be much more transparent, especially on some of the more embarrassing subjects relating to the church's past, this one still is fraught with a lot of gaslighting. The story of Jane Manning James, as it's related in the book Saints, the third volume, is saying things that just are not accurate. Even though they are bringing up this very touchy subject with her in the first place, there's still a lot of information that I think, Eric, the average LDS reader reading this book is going to probably gloss over it and not realize what is not being said while maybe focusing on some of the things that probably have not been emphasized in the past. I get that. I've, I've often said this is much more transparent, but there's still, in my opinion, when it comes to the subject of blacks and the priesthood, and even in the stories particularly with Jane Manning James, the church is still engaged in a lot of gaslighting. And gaslighting is making you believe certain things that just are not true and making it sound like if you believe otherwise than what you're being told, you're the crazy one. When no, I think this is the church perpetrating a fraud when it comes to this story. And we're going to be looking at the story as it's told in the book Saints, and it begins on page 130. On April 16, 1908, Jane Manning James, one of the earliest black Latter-day Saints, passed away in her Salt Lake City home. She had come to the Salt Lake Valley with her husband and children in September 1847 as part of the first company of saints to follow Brigham Young's Advanced Company West. Since then, she had become a well-known presence in the city. She was proud of her 18 grandchildren and her seven great-grandchildren. She and her brother Isaac went to church meetings in the Salt Lake Tabernacle and often attended reunions of the church's old folks and pioneers. Her funeral was held in the Salt Lake City 8th Ward Meeting House. The chapel was crowded with Jane's friends, both black and white, who came to remember her life. The room was filled with flowers to honor Jane's faith and goodness of heart. Jane's friend, Elizabeth Roundy, read a short autobiographical sketch that Jane dictated to her a few years earlier. Jane had been born free at a time when slavery was still legal and black people throughout the world were often treated as social inferiors. Her autobiography told the story of her conversion in the eastern United States, 
her family's nearly 800-mile walk to Nauvoo, and her experiences living with and working for the Prophet Joseph Smith's family. It also recounted how Emma Smith had twice invited Jane to be adopted into her and Joseph's family. Well, let's look at this a little bit closer, especially when it comes to that last paragraph that you read. Her autobiography told the story of her conversion in the eastern United States her, and her family's nearly 800-mile walk to Nauvoo. This chapter doesn't give you a lot of the details as to why she had to walk 800 miles to get to Nauvoo, but there is a, an essay, a historical essay, that is on the official website, churchofjesuschrist.org, that is titled, Jane Elizabeth Manning James. And it opens up by talking about this walk. It says, as a young adult, she joined the New Canaan Congregational Church in 1841. But 18 months later, in the winter of 1842 to 43, she and several family members were baptized in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Jane and others in her family soon desired to join the saints in Nauvoo. So they traveled from Connecticut to New York, planning to travel on both steamboats and canal boats. However, they were denied boat passage because of their race, so they had to walk the remaining 800 miles. So that's why they had to make the walk. It doesn't tell you that in the book. You have to go to the essay to get all those details. But then it goes on to say, in Peoria, Illinois, Local authorities questioned the Mannings as potential fugitive slaves and demanded paperwork to prove their free status. And then it says this at the end of that opening paragraph. Racism was an obstacle Jane would confront the rest of her life. Now, why is that statement so intriguing to me personally? Well, we get the impression that once Jane Manning James gets to Nauvoo, she spends the rest of her life surrounded by other members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So when it says racism was an obstacle Jane would confront the rest of her life, you might try to assume that that sentence means that she's being treated by non-members of the church, such as those who would not allow her passage on a boat. But no, that would actually be fellow church members. That would actually be the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints itself that is expressing racism towards Jane Manning James, even though she is a very faithful member of the church. And that's what this chapter is trying to bring out. She was a very faithful member, and look, the funeral was held in the Salt Lake City 8th Ward Meeting House. The chapel was crowded with Jane's friends both black and white, who came to remember her life. See, that gives you the impression that there maybe was no prejudice whatsoever towards Jane Manning James and her skin color. But this sentence from the essay off of the official website of the LDS Church doesn't really give you the whole story. If racism was an obstacle Jane would confront for the rest of her life, that racism had to come from church members and the church itself. So when it says it, that they also recounted how Emma Smith had twice invited Jane to be adopted into her and Joseph's family. Now, the essay talks about this in the very next paragraph. 
Once in Nauvoo, Jane quickly developed a friendship with Joseph and Emma Smith. She lived with them and worked in their household. At one point, Emma invited Jane to be adopted as a child into the Smith family by a priesthood ceiling. Jane declined, misunderstanding the unfamiliar new practice, but she firmly believed in Joseph's prophetic role. Quote, I did know the prophet Joseph. He was the finest man I ever saw on earth. I was certain he was a prophet because I knew it. Now, this desire of Emma to have Jane adopted as one of her children in the church, it does seem a little bit odd. I mean, she's a grown woman at this time. I mean, that doesn't seem like something that would be very normal. But then that essay that Eric just read from goes on to say, between 1884 and 1904, Jane periodically contacted church leaders, John Taylor, who would be the third president of the church, Wilford Woodruff, who would become the fourth president of the church, and Zina D.H. Young, and Joseph F. Smith, who would become the sixth president of the church, and sought permission to receive her temple endowment and to be sealed. Now, you have to understand, what she is requesting is something all faithful members in the LDS church at that time could have. They, they could participate in this. But at the time, the essay says, Black Latter-day Saint men and women were not allowed to participate in most temple ordinances. In 1888, stake president Angus M. Cannon authorized Jane to perform baptisms for her deceased kindred. Church leaders eventually allowed her to be sealed by proxy into the Joseph Smith family as a servant in 1894, a unique occurrence. She's eventually allowed what she wants. Okay, now she's going to desire to be sealed by proxy into the Joseph Smith family. But notice the wording here, as a servant. And this takes place in 1894, and it admits that was a unique occurrence. Do you think anyone else who would have been adopted into the Smith family, had they been white, they would have been adopted in the family as a servant. I tend to doubt it. And if you understand Mormonism's view of the celestial kingdom, it's not talked about much. There are three levels within the celestial kingdom, and the bottom level is reserved for the servants, people who are going to be serving the others who are on the top level. We don't know much about the middle level. It's not talked about in general conference discussions at all in, in their talks, but we do know that that is a possible place where she would not be in her own kingdom, she would be in somebody else's kingdom. Now this chapter goes on in the book Saints that President Joseph F. Smith, the sixth president of the church, spoke at Jane's funeral. And it says over the years, Jane had sometimes sought his help in receiving temple ordinances for herself and her deceased family members. She particularly longed to receive the endowment and be sealed to a family. But since the early 1850s, the church had restricted saints of African descent from holding the priesthood or receiving any temple ordinance except baptism for the dead. And then it goes on to say this, Eric, explanations for the restriction varied, but they were speculative, not the word of God. Now, earlier in this show, I mentioned how this is one topic where the members of the church, and I guess you could say the general public, since we would be a part of the general public reading their material, is experiencing a case of gaslighting by the church. They're trying to tell you something 
happened when that's not really what happened. And when they say here, explanations for the restriction varied, but they were speculative, that's the gaslighting. It was not speculative. None of those leaders, including Joseph F. Smith, who's mentioned in this very paragraph on page 132, he never felt it was a speculation that blacks should not hold the priesthood. These men all felt it was a doctrine, and it came forth from God Almighty himself. Now, if you're a Latter-day Saint reading this, you're going to say, see, it was just mere speculation. It was never in the standard works. It was not official. And you're not going to question, like we're going to be questioning this tomorrow. We're going to be taking a look closer at what Brigham Young had to teach on this, as well as the other leaders, to show you very clearly it was doctrine. Absolutely. And this is what always amazes me, Eric, is they keep preaching this speculation theory. And they've been doing this since 1978, when they allowed blacks to hold the priesthood officially. And when asked, well, why was it that they could not hold the priesthood prior to 1978? And they give answers like, well, we don't know. They try to brush it off as if this was something that was on the part of God, but yet at the same time, God isn't to blame. It becomes very confusing. They're trying to have it both ways. But if you look carefully at what has been said in Mormonism's past, what we're being told here, that this was just a speculative thing, was not really speculation at all. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information regarding Mormonism Research Ministry, we encourage you to visit our website at www.mrm.org, where you can request our free newsletter, Mormonism Researched. We hope you will join us again as we look at another viewpoint on Mormonism.